Welcome to High Cheese with Darren Maloney. Today is Friday, September 16th, 2022, and that was Brianna Fernandez leading the national anthem during the jet opener this past weekend on 9-11. And these people are MAGA. These people love their country. They love their kids. And I hope no one was taking a knee at that game. I didn't see anybody, but I hope they learned something. I hope the players learned something about that national anthem. Because these people that were singing, they know the country's not perfect, but it's the best country that has ever existed. And again, they're not focused on the bad things about the country. They're focused on what the good things about the country are. These are the populists. These are MAGA. And it was a good week for the populists. And you have to understand this whole MAGA movement, this populist movement, is going on throughout the world. It's just not happening in the United States. It's happening throughout the world. God is touching these countries and bringing them back to basics, for lack of a better word. And as I said, it was a good week for populists. Let's take a look at Sweden. In Sweden, the populists took over parliament. Now, for years and years, the the left have been controlling parliament. And believe you me, Sweden is one of the most liberal countries in Europe. And a lot of other countries look to Sweden for guidance on how to handle things. So the populace took over the Swedish government this past week in their elections. And this just does not happen without the hand of God. Let's take a look up north in Canada. The Conservative Party just voted in their new leader, Pierre Poliev, on the first ballot. Now, Canada, the Conservative Party in Canada, have their own rhinos up there. And they, the rhinos presented their own candidate, Charette. And I think he was the former premier of Quebec. And they had thought this guy was going to win. So when push came to shove, the conservatives, the conservative members of the party up in Canada, they voted for Poliev with 68% of the vote, first ballot. Charette later said, ah, I'm leaving politics. I'm going back to the private sector. But this was a huge win for the populists up in Canada. And then we've got an election coming up in Italy. And there is every indication that says that the populists are going to win and put in the first female prime minister in Italy's history. So again, this is, this, this is a good week for the populists. And these things don't happen in a vacuum. And it really makes things look good for the November elections. Now, look, the left wing and the media, they have their suppression polls out there saying, oh, things are much closer. It looks like the Democrats may take Congress. Don't believe it. I've always said, don't believe these polls. These are suppression polls. These are companies that are paid to do these suppression polls. And they try to legitimize, oh, we use this methodology, that methodology. These left-wing pollsters are using the methodology that best presents the Democratic position. It's not based in, based in truth. It's based in what the people are, that are paying them for these polls want to hear and want to talk about on their shows. So again, don't believe these suppression polls. Believe November. But you got to come out and vote. So you know, let me, let's t- take a step back. If you can remember, Brexit in England was right before our election in 2016, which brought in Donald Trump. Big populist movement 
Brexit in Europe, in, in England. They left. That was very telling for what happened in the United States in 2016. And the same thing is happening now. You're seeing all this throughout the world. You're seeing the populace. They want their countries back. They want control over their kids. They want control of their school systems. They don't like crime. They want to feel safe. And this is happening throughout the world. And again, this is going to happen in November. So let's go to Mar-a-Lago. The latest ongoing saga between Donald Trump and the Department of Justice. Or should I say, the ongoing saga between the American people and the Department of Justice. Now, here's the latest. The latest is that the judge, Aileen Cannon, has appointed a special master. And that special master is Raymond Deary. Uh, Deary is a Brooklyn-based judge. He was appointed by Reagan, and he uh, sat as a Pfizer judge. Now, he may have been one of those judges that was hoodwinked by the FBI during this whole issue with surveillance of Trump associates. But nevertheless, Raymond Deary is the special master. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to review the documents to find out whether they fall under executive privilege or attorney-client privilege. And this will affect the case because if the special master comes out and says you can't use any of these because they fall under executive or attorney-client privilege, there goes their case. Now, the interesting thing, there's a couple of comments by Judge Cannon yesterday because the Department of Justice came out and says, oh, you know, you, know, you may want to rethink, and they filed a petition on this, Oh, you may want to rethink this whole special master because what happened is, is that the judge had ordered the Department of Justice to stop the investigation, essentially. You know, the, the, the non-questioned documents, if there is any, they can use. But everything else that falls under the special master, they, they can't continue. They have to stop. So what the Department of Justice came back today or yesterday and, and asked the judge to rethink this. Oh, you know, can you have a, can we have a stay on this? Because uh, there's an issue of national security. And the judge came back and, and smacked down the Department of Justice. And here's what she said. This isn't her words verbatim, but she told the Department of Justice that, wait a second, you're telling me that to hold this up with a special master is going to create an issue with national security? Why? You're supposed to be holding these documents. And B, everything I see from these leaks that come out, it's the Department of Justice that's undermining national security with the leaks. And I thought that was really telling. The other thing that I thought was telling, too, is that, look, she says, ultimately, it may be the case that Donald Trump has every right to hold on to these documents. The courts may determine that. And that's telling also. And that be, may be a probable result of this. Now, the mainstream media is in a meltdown. So with that said, let's just go to a uh, clip from ABC News and how they uh, covered this. So uh, let's go to the clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon on Thursday denied the Department of Justice request for a partial stay of her ruling that limited the government's investigation. What did the judge say in her order? 
So Kenneth, Judge Cannon is essentially saying that she's not willing to accept the government's assertion that roughly 100 of these documents that were retrieved from Mar-a-Lago at the beginning of August, that she's not willing to accept that those had classification markings on them. She said she's skeptical of the government's argument that Trump has no claims to these documents specifically. And it's funny, if you could see the look on these reporters, and it's almost, well, first of all, they got the deer in the headlight because they're kind of stunned about this decision. And then they cover it up with a look. Remember when you were a kid or with your kids, you had to eat your vegetables and you ate your vegetables and you were chewing on it and you were kind of smiling and, you know, but you didn't like it. And that's the look that these reporters had during this segment here. And they better get used to it because the truth is coming out. And they've got to deal with it. Nevertheless, what what the Department of Justice plans on doing, they may have already done, is they they're going to uh, appeal both the decision to have a special master and the decision to uh, partially stop the investigation, and they're going to appeal it to the Eleventh Circuit. Now, apparently, from what I hear, is that the Eleventh Circuit is made up of mostly Donald Trump appointees. So they'll likely get a fair shot at this. So we shall see. So it came out in a recent John Durham court filing that the major source of the Steele dossier, Igor Danchenko, was on the FBI payroll. Shocking, huh? So just remember, let's put this in context. So the major source of the Steele dossier, which was paid for by the Democratic Party, was on the payroll of the FBI. And no one said anything. Is that corruption or what? And this is just adding to another bad week for the FBI and the Department of Justice. And just to add more to this bad week for the FBI, the Washington Examiner is reporting that a whistleblower has claimed that the Biden administration has pressured the FBI and FBI agents to seek out white supremacists, even when they didn't exist. So isn't that special? And you see how this is all coordinated. This is all coordinated with the, uh, uh, the white supremacist summit that Biden is having. I think it's today. I think he's hosting an extremist and racist summit. And I guess he wanted some more scalps for the summit. Well, you didn't get them. Again, this is the problem with the merger of the Democratic Party and the administrative state. It's how dangerous they are. Remember, show me the man, I will show you the crime. And that's what the Biden administration wants to do. And that's what the C-suiters in the FBI and the Department of Justice want to happen. But it's just going to happen. You're having a bad week so far. What else could go wrong? This is what could go wrong. Apparently, there was, uh, I heard reports from anywhere from 35 to uh, 50 Trump associates either had their cell phones taken or were issued subpoenas. And apparently what we hear it has to do with the J6 hearings. Now, speaking of the J6, expect to see another J6 hearing coming up. I would give it maybe, I don't know, you know, maybe within the first week of when those mail-in ballots go out in some states. Right around there. Expect another J6 hearing. Expect another primetime hearing. There's going to be all these great commercials about it. 
oh no, we've got new evidence. We've got a secret bombshell. Expect that. And it'll be all fake. And it'll be a dud, just like all the other hearings. But where were we? The cell phones and the subpoenas. And this is just an act of intimidation. They're trying to throw everything at Donald Trump right now and his associates. And I think at this point, they're just looking to scare him and his associates. But it's not going to work with Trump. It's not going to work with his associates. These guys are tough guys. Because they know it's not working with the American public. If you look at all the polls, Trump is stronger than ever. He leads Biden, all the swing states. And this is why they're doing this. And here's the funny thing. Mike Lindell, the pillow guy, my pillow. Mike Lindell gets his cell phone taken by the FBI at a Hardee's drive-thru. And the way he described it was funny. He was just waiting to get a hamburger at the drive-thru. And, and, and a couple of black cars came up and cut his path off on the, online. And they took his cell phone. Now, Lindell's not happy because he's got a lot. He, he does a lot of his business off of that cell phone. He's got passwords. He's got wire instructions. So he's not happy about that. I hope they let him get his hamburger, though. Steny Hoyer. Steny Hoyer is one of the most powerful Democrats in the House. And Hoyer, I think, is a representative from Maryland. And with that said, I am going to play you a clip with Steny Hoyer. And what Hoyer's doing in this clip, he's, uh, he's defending the administrative state. If there's any evidence that shows you the collusion between the Democratic Party and the administrative state, it's going to be in the following clip. So let's go back to this clip, and then we'll discuss. They made it quite clear. They want to eliminate what they call the deep state. The deep state is a cadre of professionals dedicated to honoring the Constitution, the laws of this country, and carrying out the policies of the Congress and the President. Now, you know this is an issue. Now, you know this is an issue with the American people when you have one of the most powerful Democrats in Congress. And Hoyer's addressing Congress, and they're talking about some legislation that they want to pass uh, to protect these deep staters. And I'll get to that in a minute. But it, it is an issue. You know, if Hoyer's talking about it, the Democrats already hear the footsteps coming from the Republicans. They know that the deep state is an issue with many people, and they're looking to protect the deep state after they're voted out of office and the Republican take, takes over. Now, what this legislation is all about, it has to do with uh, Trump, and I've spoken about this as well, is that the administrative state needs to be cut back. It needs to be shrunk. It's too big. It's too powerful. They're unelected officials that have too much impact on our lives. And so what Trump has come out and said, he goes, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut back on the size of the federal government. And what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift, and essentially it's a personnel issue. You're shifting a certain category of, of uh, federal employees that are protected by civil service and members of the deep state and shifting them over into a, a category where they can be fired by the president. So Hoyer wants to protect these people. He wants to prevent that from happening. He wants to expand the federal civil service. He wants to expand the administrative state. 
So he wants to continue this huge blob that we have in Fed, uh, in Washington that employees can do whatever they want. They can align themselves with the, the Democratic Party. And if they get caught leaking, if they ca- get caught doing anything to undermine the president of the United States, they're protected. And we don't want that. But the Democrats do. And that's why they're trying to pass this uh, resolution that would prevent the Republicans or an incoming president from changing the personnel status of certain employees in Washington. And if, again, if there's anything more glaring in this protection, it's what Hoyer's talking about. And he's talking about, oh, the deep state, they're hardworking. Yeah, they're hardworking against the American people. They're only there to protect themselves and to protect the bureaucracy. And the perfect example is Hoyer. He's protecting the bureaucracy. Instead of trying to shrink the bureaucracy, take away the powers of the bureaucracy, he's trying to add to it. So again, as I said, there's two takeaways from this. One is that they hear the footsteps from Trump and the Republican Party coming and MAGA. And two, they're just showing their colors. The Democrats are aligned with the deep state and they're going to do anything to protect each other. And just a final refresher on who are members of the deep state is the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the intelligence community. So these are the people that Hoyer wants to protect at all costs. Just remember that. So Joe Biden had his Inflation Reduction Act celebration on Tuesday. And it was so funny to watch because as he was making his speech about this great Inflation Reduction Act, which it isn't. It promotes green energy with the banner of inflation reduction. But anyway, he was celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act. And I'm going to play a clip in a second, but the funny thing is, is that as he's talking about how great this Inflation Reduction Act, they've got a little box that shows the stock market tanking. And on the same day he had his celebration, the stock market tanked 1,200 points the biggest loss since 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. So let me play this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. After all, this bill cut costs for families, help reduce inflation at the kitchen table because that's what they look at, how much of their monthly bills and how much do they have to pay out for their necessities. And it gave them just a little more breathing room as my dad would say. This bill will lower the deficit. This bill alone is going to lower the deficit by $300 billion over the next decade. Well, hold on there, Joe. Your rhetoric doesn't reflect reality. Because as he was speaking, CPI numbers came out and the budget deficit for August came out. And everyone had expected CPI to come in at 8%. But it didn't. It came in at 8.3%. And core inflation, what core inflation is, is that you, uh, you you pull out gas and food. And core inflation, it was expected to come in at 6%, but it came in at 6.3%. And the budget deficit for August, the expectation was $213 billion deficit. However, it actually came in at $220 billion. So everything that Joe said in that speech was wrong. It's not just the president that is misleading this country. It's also these talking heads on Wall Street. And I want to play a clip. 
from one of these talking heads. And he's got to be protecting the president or he's got to be protecting some type of position that his bank has. And let me just play it real quick. And then we'll come back and discuss. Uh, you know, I've always said that these CNBCs, the, these Bloombergs, are nothing more than cheerleaders for the stock market. And they've extended themselves to become so politicized that they'll just mislead the investor. So let me play this clip. And this clip is from, the. Uh, it was on Monday. It was the day before the actual CPI numbers came in. And it's one of these cheerleaders from one of these banks. And, uh, you know, let's play it. Then we'll come back and discuss. Well, Credit, well, Credit Suisse is forecasting that inflation will collapse over the next 12 to 18 months. Jonathan Golub is behind the call. He's the firm's chief U.S. equity strategist. Jonathan, great to speak with you. Good to see you. Just on a mathematical basis, I mean, once we get, once we start lapping and, and we're lapping compar easier comparisons, it's going to look a lot better year on year, John. Is that what you mean by inflation collapsing? Well, it, it's it's even more than that. If you look at like the tips break evens, they're predicting that we have sub two percent um, CPI at this time next year. Economists are forecasting um, something that's more like two and a quarter um, by the end of next year. And and how why? And it's not. This isn't a Credit Suisse call. This is actually what's being priced into the market broadly. And and this is what gets me. And this is what is dangerous about people that are running our institutions today. It's about a story. It's about a narrative. It doesn't need to reflect reality. But this guy, Jonathan Golub, said this on Monday. And then on Tuesday, the market had its worst crash in two years. And it's funny. These, these people are funny. And he goes on to say, this is going to be a dramatic crashing of inflation over the next 12 to 18 months. If you look up the definition of dramatic, it's it's a sudden and harsh change. And nothing is sudden over a 12 to 18 month period. So again, these guys are you know, they're, they're really slippery. It's dramatic, but it's going to be over 12 to 18 months, but counterintuitive because dramatic is a sudden thing. It's not something that happens over a 12 to 18 month period. So it's just inconsistent with reality. And then he goes on to say, oh, and, th and this is going to cause a, a huge uptake in, in the stock market. Well, again, I think he's wrong here. Because if, if there is a dramatic reduction in inflation, it's coming from a recession, a deep recession. Right now, we're in a stagflation period. But if he's calling for a dramatic decrease in inflation, the only thing that's going to cause that is a deep, deep recession or worse. And stocks ain't going up under those scenarios. So again, these talking heads on these CNBCs of the world, these bankers, they're not doing anyone any justice. And they're only undermining their own institutions. You know, and just a sidebar on these 24-7 business uh, uh, TV stations, news uh, stations, we're, we're now adding the 24-7 weather channels to the mix. I don't know if it's me, but I keep on seeing these new weather channels showing up uh, all over the internet, uh, all over uh, cable television, streaming television. And the only reason I think that we're seeing this is because these 
religious climate people need some, something to watch all the time. Because as I've always said, these hysterical climate change people, the weather has become their religion. The quest to stop climate change is their religion. And these weather channels now are like their religious ceremonies. They need to watch it. You know, there's a, like, you know, you, you know, with Christianity and other religions, there's, you know, you have the 700 Club, you've got church services on TV. Well, I think these 24-7 weather channels are now going to become these church services for those who see climate change as a religion. And you know, with these 24-7, you just blow everything out of proportion. You know, these people just say, oh, I, oh my God, they're... There, there's a, a tropical storm in the middle of the Atlantic. Oh my God, this is the end of the world. See, 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 climate change. Or there was a hurricane in Atlanta. Ah, see, see, climate change. Well, we're having a winter storm in Canada in December. See, 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 climate change. We got, we got to pray to the gods. We got to pray to the climate gods. We got to offer them uh, up our lifestyle, our way of life. I don't know. Maybe it's me. I just see something like this coming. I, I think it just appeases the climate religion. Now, speaking of climate change, Mandela Barnes is running for Senate in Wisconsin. And Mandela Barnes thinks that capitalism is the cause of climate change. And gun violence, too. And let's just go to this clip. I think it's at from a 2019 UN summit on climate change and other issues. And he was asked a question about climate change. And here's his answer. And at this point, what can or should we be doing about it to seriously make a difference and put us on a, a different sustainable path of the 21st century? I don't think it's how uh, stupid can humanity be. I think it's how greedy can humanity be. Uh, the reason why we're in this mess is pursuit of greed. Like, it's, it's capitalism run amok. That's why we're in this predicament now. It's the same reason why gun violence is so rampant in the United States of America. And then later in this diatribe, he goes on to say that, look, we've got a stymie capitalism. Mandela Barnes is a borderline communist. And there should be no reason for anyone not to vote for Ron Johnson. Because if you don't vote for Ron Johnson, you get a communist. You get a borderline communist. And this is what Mandela Barnes is. Let's stymie capitalism. It's capitalism run amok that has caused gun violence, that has caused climate change. So let's do away with capitalism. Or let's bring in the Chinese form of capitalism. Yeah, you're free until you're not. Yeah, we've got markets, but we've got slave labor. This is what you're going to get with Mandela. So there's no reason to vote for him again. There's every reason to vote for Ron Johnson against a guy like this. Okay, and we've touched upon guns with Mandela Barnes. And I just want to talk about what the credit card companies are doing with changing their codes to segment out and pull out the purchase of guns in their commodity codes, for lack of a better word. So what happens when you uh, purchase something, they have different coding for types of merchandise, types of... Um, you know, things that you purchase. And what they're doing now is they're highlighting the fact that if you do buy a gun with a credit card, it's going to be treated separately. It's not going to be treated as merchandise. It's not going to be treated as, uh, you know, groceries. Um, you'll have those categories of merchandise, groceries, but you're also going to have a separate category for guns, which has never been the case. And I, I'm just thinking about why they did this. And 
the first thing is, is that it shows us their priorities. They want to single out gun owners and they want to make it easier for the federal government or whoever to pull out gun information from a gun buyer. Like, for example, you know, we just learned from uh, the whistleblower in Twitter that 4,000 Twitter employees have access to important and discreet information about those that use the product. And if that's the case with, say, American Express, you can have a boatload of people with easy access to information about gun owners. Now, you know the way politics is today and how people are crazy. Now, are these employees of American Express going to be able to dox gun owners? Are they going to release information secretly to the press and say, hey, look at all the people that bought guns. Here's their names. Now, quite frankly, you can make the case that people would be safer if everybody knew that you owned the gun. But that's private. That's not for American Express to determine. That's, that's for you to determine. So I was talking to my one brother, and he's a, you know, he's got, he collects guns. And we were talking about what kind of economic effect this was going to have. And he, he makes a good point. And he thinks this is going to help the retail gun sellers and hurt the online gun sellers. Because you just can't pay cash online, but you can go down to the local gun store and pay cash and give them cash for your gun. Now, this ties in also to the 87,000 IRS agents that the Democrats want to put on the streets. And you know that the IRS loves to audit those in cash businesses. They love to do it. So if they catch whiff of all these retail selling guns with cash, they're all going to get audited. And these are small business owners. They're not large business owners. So it's a nice little package what they're doing. And I really wonder if these credit card companies are working hand in hand with the federal government and the Democratic Party to do this. Now, you know, he makes a good point, too. He says, look, there may be ways to go around this uh, shadow registry, this shadow gun registry that the credit card companies are creating. Now, what he thinks you may be able to do, you may be able to go to Walmart, get one, uh, purchase one of these uh, you know, debit card type things and use that to purchase the gun. I mean, but you pay an extra fee for it. So you may be able to get around it that way. Or maybe these online retailers will start you know, offering alternates to cash. Maybe you can mail them a, a bank check. You know, something along those lines. They may have to do that. But my point also, the thing I wanted to point out, this shows you the morality of these credit card companies. Guns are immoral, but they don't pull out pornography. They don't pull out any other vices. If you go to a strip club, that's not pulled out. That's hidden under some type of entertainment. So these credit card companies are now making moral decisions, and you see where their morality is. Guns, you could be doxxed. Porno- pornography, no, you're okay. Strip clubs, you know, you're okay. We'll hide the fact that you uh, go to strip clubs. We'll hide the fact that you just purchased pornog- pornography. But we're not going to hide the fact that you just purchased a gun. That's the morality of these companies today. So we shall see. And I want to send my kudos to Ron DeSantis for flying those 50 illegal immigrants up to Martha's Vineyard. And what it's done, it's exposed these left-wing Democrats as being hypocrites. The wealthy 
left-wing Democrats, the ones that want to control the Democratic Party and the ones that want to control your life, are hypocrites. They want everybody else to bear the burden of illegal immigration in this country, but not them. And DeSantis did a great job at exposing the hypocrisy. So with that said, I want to go play a clip, and I think this is uh, from one of the uh, Martha's Vineyard bureaucrats, the one that's in charge of the um, one of the shelters. And listen to what she has to say. You would think that the an extremely liberal person would be much more soft-hearted toward these illegal immigrants. But let's play the clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. The difficult challenges are... Uh, we have, at some point in time, they have to move to somewhere else, right? We, we cannot, we don't have the services to take care of 50 immigrants, um, and we, we certainly don't have housing. We're in a housing crisis as we are on this island, and so we, we don't, we can't house everyone here that lives here and works here. We don't have housing for 50 more people. And that was Lisa Belcasto the homeless shelter coordinator, apparently at Martha's Vineyard. Who knows? Who knew they had one? But she's saying, hey, you got to go, guys. Can't stay here. We've got a housing crisis in Martha's Vineyard. Wealthy Martha's Vineyard with all those mansions and estates. They have a housing crisis. We can't house people here. You got to go. And again, like I said before, what really got me is the text messages that the town manager was getting from residents. I'd like to see what those text messages were. Oh my God, there's brown people walking down the street. They're not dressed like us. Get them. (laughs) I really like to see what those text messages said. But again, it's a perfect example of the hypocrisy of these left-wing people. Every excuse, housing crisis. We don't have the infrastructure to support 50 illegal aliens. And you gotta go. And now I heard today, (laughs) the governor sent 125 National Guard out there to go get them. Really? You got to send the National Guard out there to bring those people off the island? What are they afraid of? They are afraid. These extreme left-wing people, the Democrats, they're afraid of you. They're afraid of me. They're afraid of the illegal alien. And they just want you gone. So let's just go to a clip, um, Ron DeSantis, and let's play the clip and then we'll just come back and discuss. All those people in D.C. and New York were beating their chests when Trump was president, saying they were so proud to be sanctuary jurisdictions, saying how bad it was to have a secure border. The minute even a small fraction of what those border towns deal with every day is brought to their front door, they all of a sudden go berserk and they're so upset that this is happening. And it just shows you, you know, their virtue signaling is a fraud. Well said. And I hope that rank and file Democrats listen to this because these extremely wealthy liberal Democrats look down at the rank and file Democrat, just like they look down at the illegal alien. So we shall see. Okay, let's go to the loser of the week. And I'm going to play a clip. And you tell me which of the two 
is the loser. And then we'll come back and discuss. 14 days, should she get a flu shot? Well, no. If she got the flu for 14 days, she's as protected as anybody can be because the best vaccination is to get infected yourself. And if she really has the flu, if she really has the flu, she definitely doesn't need a flu vaccine. If she really has the flu. She right. should not get it again. No, she doesn't need it because the, it's, the be, it's the most potent vaccination is getting infected yourself. This is an ongoing question, and, you know, we've had ever-evolving opinions from you, Dr. Fauci. Currently, antibody surveys show that uh, 80% of children, approximately 80% of children, have had COVID, and yet there are no guidelines coming from you or anybody in the government to take into account their naturally acquired immunity. You seem quite certain of yourself in 2004, but in 2022, there's a lot less certainty. One of the things that we also know after looking at this for two to three years uh, is that the mortality uh, from COVID is very similar, if not less, than, than influenza. So when we look at this, we wonder, you know, why you seem to really embrace basic immunology back in 2004 and how you or why you seem to reject it now. Well, <clears throat> I don't uh, reject basic immunology, Senator, and I have never denied that there is importance of the protection following infection. However, as we have said many times, and as has been validated by the authorization of the, by the FDA through their committee and the recommendation by the CDC through their committee, that a vaccination following infection gives an added extra boost. And that film that you showed is really taken out of context. I believe that was when someone called in who had had a reaction to a vaccine and asked me through a telephone in the interview if they should get vaccinated again. So it was in the context of someone who had a reaction. As a matter of fact, Reuters fact check looked at that and said, Fauci's 2004 comments do not contradict his pandemic stance. Actually, words don't lie. If you look at the words behind me, we can go over them a little bit at a time. She doesn't need it because the most potent vaccination right. is getting infected yourself. It so is true. It is true, Senator. It is a very potent way to protect. When you're trying to tell us that kids need a third or a fourth vaccine, are you including the variability or the variable of previous infection in the studies? No, you're not. And if you guessed Anthony Fauci, you are correct. And this has to do with, I think, a Senate hearing on monkeypox that happened this week. And Rand Paul was asking Fauci, well, wait a second, we pulled this, uh, clip from years ago when someone called and asked about whether they should get a flu shot after getting the flu. And Fauci said, no, you don't need a flu shot. The best immunity is getting it, natural immunity. So all Rand Paul was asking, well, what changed? What changed from years ago to today? And Fauci's there obfuscating, really not telling the truth, telling half-truths, saying fact-checkers said I was okay. When you got to rely on fact checkers, Fauci, you're wrong. And I give this to Fauci for the continued misleading of the American people. 
Okay, let's go to stocks. And this week can be summed up as not a good week. It was There was a lot of pressure on stocks because of the surprise in the CPI report. And on Thursday night, the CEO of FedEx came out and said he is expecting a worldwide recession. So that coupled with uh, poor earnings from FedEx caused a lot of pressure on stocks this week. And today's Friday, September 16th. 2022, and it is 9.30 p.m. For the day, the Dow finished down 0.45% to close at 30,822.42. The S&P finished down 0.72% to 3,873.33. And the NASDAQ finished down today 0.9% to 11,448.4. For the week, the Dow was down 4.1%, the S&P was down 4.8%, and the NASDAQ was down 5.5%. For the year, the Dow is down 15.18%, the S&P is down 18.73%, and NASDAQ is down 26.82%. Bonds, the 10-year bond uh, is trading at 3.455%, while the two-year bond is trading at 3.871%. Again, that's an inverted yield curve, which is indicative of a recession. Gold futures uh, is trading at $1,684.50 per ounce, and silver futures are trading at $19.00 and 61.5 per ounce. Oil futures are trading at $85.40 per barrel. And Bitcoin is trading at $19,992.12. Ethereum is trading at $1,440. And XRP is trading at $0.35. Now let's go to the economic calendar. The big issue for next week is the the Fed meeting. And they're going to come out and they're going to raise interest rates. And right now, the question is, are they going to raise interest rates 75 basis points or a full 1%? So we shall see on that one. On Monday, 10 a.m., September 19th, we have the NAHB Home Builders Index. Then on Tuesday, September 20th, we have building permits, housing starts. On Wednesday, we have existing home sales, We have the Federal Reserve Statement. That's coming out at 2 o'clock on Wednesday. So be prepared for that one. On Thursday, we have initial jobless claims, continuing jobless claims, the current account deficit, and leading economic indicators. And then on Friday, September 23rd, we have the S&P U.S. Manufacturing PMI and the S&P Services PMI. And with that said, thank you so much for listening. You have a good week, and I will talk to you again on Saturday.